0: Welcome to the Improver Network podcast. The Improver Network mission is to make the world better by helping faith-driven leaders, entrepreneurs, and small business owners improve personally and professionally. Finding balance and maintaining focus in a world of distractions and discouragement can be challenging and frustrating, but we're here to help you discover your purpose become more productive, and reach your true potential. Now, here's your host, Justin Winstead.
1: All right, welcome to the Improver Network podcast. Uh, I want to say a big hello to all of our listeners out there and thank you for joining us. We have an exciting podcast today with a very special guest, Uh, Right now on the podcast we have the co-host Kenzie Harvell and I'm Justin Winstead and our guest is Mr. Joseph Backholm.
2: The one and and only.
1: The one and only and Mr. Backholm, he's a friend of both me and Kenzie and our families and one of the most fantastic individuals I've ever met and just really excited for our conversation today because I know we're going to have a lot of fun and I think the people listening are going to have fun as well and also uh, gain some insight, information, some encouragement, uh, maybe something to help them improve, which is what we're all about here. So, Joseph, thanks for joining
3: us. Hey, well, it's my pleasure. I, uh, I'm afraid to live up to the uh, introduction there, <laughs> Justin. Um, I appreciate that you're introducing me to a podcast, but uh, the, the lies are not necessary, <laughs> right? But it's good to be with you. Well, well,
1: in your words, then, uh, since we're talking about expectations, why don't you tell us a little bit, though, about uh, who you are and what you do, just the quick bio, and then we'll start unpacking some of your story and uh, some of the message that we're going to uh, chat about today. So tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Yeah, well, I don't know how to do this quickly. I mean, I always struggle when people ask me what I do. Uh, the, the short version of this is I'm a lawyer by training. I spent about 15 years working in politics very actively. I worked as a staff attorney in the legislature in Washington State. I ran a public policy group there. Really, my interest in public policy always flowed from my interest in worldview. And and I come from a Christian perspective, and I believe God knows what's best for people, and to the extent that we submit to that, that makes our life better, and everybody else's as well, and so I now, the title that I carry around most often is Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., so I still talk and think a lot about politics, um, but I particularly emphasize not just the policy, um, but how the assumptions we make about reality influence our view of the world around us and then the impacts that has on uh, our lives day to day.
1: Man, that's incredible. So you mentioned the FRC Family Research Council. Tell us a little bit about that for those people who may not know what that is or does. Yeah.
3: Well, Family Research Council is is an organization in Washington, D.C. and advocates for life, marriage, religious freedom, uh, parental rights in the nation's capital. And so there are uh, people within the organization who are on the Hill every day, lobbying lots of relationships within Washington, D.C. The organization does other things as well. I kind of I'm part of that team sometimes, but by and large, I'm not in Washington, D.C., though sometimes I do talk to people in Washington, D.C., but for the most part, I'm kind of out and about around the country trying to help people understand uh, a world that now seems upside down and insane to a lot of people where, you know, why are we now struggling to understand what a boy is and what a girl is? And why do we think boys can become girls and all of these things? Things that a lot of people who are, you know, older than 35 or 40, they're like, I don't understand this. And they're trying to understand it. And it's my job to try to help explain that and uh, not to make them agree with all of that, of course, but to uh, help understand this in the spiritual context in which all of this is happening so they aren't uh, derailed or perhaps even worse, uh, persuaded.
1: Yeah. Well, that is, uh, that is something, you know, the idea of uh, being conservative, uh, sometimes people think, well, conservatives just want to conserve what's old or what always has been, but it's really about conservatives conserving what is good and what is yeah. right, and it looks like that's part of what you guys are trying to do at the FRC is, we're trying to hold
3: on to that which is good and right and true and honorable yeah. and push those values. And, and and to that point, and that's not really what we're here to talk about today. But I think the definition of the term conservative does matter, and it changes over time. You know, two thousand years ago, Christians were the progressives because we were the ones trying to uh, you know change the cultural norms to change. So we were protecting life, and we were not like you know committing infanticide because we didn't like girls, and we were not going to burn women on the funeral pyres of their husbands because wives were less. Valuable than husbands, right? So uh, sometimes we're supposed to be progressive if it requires radical change from the norm, and sometimes we need to conserve if the things that that uh, if the status quo is worth conserving. So for Christians, the goal is not to be progressive or conservative; it's to align with God's will for humanity. And sometimes that requires saying, uh, "Let's not change," and sometimes that requires saying, "Let's change." Mm,
1: good word there, man. We're already getting into the deep stuff here. <laughs> yeah, so to kind of back up just a minute and just get to know you a little bit better. Uh, yeah. First off, uh, a friend of mine recently went to a conference, and uh, the conference was strategic coach, and they talked about in there to, to go big, and it said uh, at the beginning to go big is to begin in gratitude, and the whole idea was starting out with positivity and something you're grateful for and thankful for, and so we got a little section on our podcast and we have our guests on I like, called Tell Me Something Good, and so I just want to throw that out there. Tell me something good right now. What's something positive in life? What's something you're thankful for or really excited about today?
3: Oh man, well that's actually a really long list. Yeah. I um I'm at a moment in my life where there is very little that isn't good, and I'm and I'm so thankful for that. I I love that I get to you know, spend every day doing things that I think matters. And I know a lot of people for whom that's not the case. You know, when, when you're a lawyer, that's almost everybody that, you know, in the legal profession, right? How many lawyers like their job? Not very many, but I'm, I'm fortunate to do things that, that I think matter. And so I love it. And and yeah, I have four kids, and they are doing well in life you know i got three teenage daughters now and i actually am thriving in this moment since the since my third daughter was born i was told to beware of this moment they are 17 15 and 13 and uh, by god's grace and the great mother that they have i think it's actually going quite well and and we also have a son and he's doing well as well but uh, that's different than a teenage girl so uh we you know i'm um, i'm i'm just super grateful and and we are uh, I just have purpose in in my days and spend time with family. And it's this sweet moment where, you know, everybody's still under the house in in my house. And that's not going to be that way for long. They have a lot of capability and independence and we're way past changing diapers. And for the most part, they can get themselves together and clean themselves up and do all those things. And they're actually contributing to the household. So all those, those things are nice as well. So it's a great season for my family and just experiencing adventures. Got to go on a mission trip with my oldest to Peru and uh, serve some people that also run around the the mountains for a while. So there's just uh, so much to be grateful for at this moment.
1: I love it, man. That's a lot of good stuff. And it sounds like you're in a really good season of life right now. You know, there's ups and downs and ebbs and flows, and it sounds like you're on some high points. Yeah. Well, uh, I can tell
3: you some low points yeah. too, but <laughs> if we're going to talk about being great, yeah, I've, I've had those, but but fortunately at the moment, uh, not a ton of them right now.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic, yeah. man. Well, speaking of high points, uh, <laughs> figuratively and literally here, you and I and some other guys went on a trip, uh few years back. I guess that was the year before the world changed due to COVID. That was 2019, right? Uh, We went to uh, Mount Blanc and circumnavigated that, a little 110 mile trek in 10 days. And man, what a fantastic, uh, epic trip. Uh, What's one of your favorite memories that you have from that
3: trip? Man, one of my favorite from that trip. And, you know, the, the beauty of like Facebook and Google Photos is I get these memories because this is about three years ago now, right? In July when we were doing that and all these photos every day were being pushed to me as, as memories. And it, It's hard to say one thing. I just think the um, the beauty of the creation and and having the chance and to do it with you guys is really what made it special, right? is to do this with friends, people that you're doing life with. You can just talk about things that matter and you have all day. You have the, the gift of having all day to just talk to somebody is is underrated where you've got nothing else on your schedule and you're just walking down a path. And, you know, we were able to read Psalms to each other and sing songs and like quote poems and talk about our kids and solve world problems and all of those things um, together. And it, just the the um, amount of time that we have dedicated just to being with somebody and not to mention just looking around and being one of the most beautiful places yeah. uh, on the planet. It's hard to say what the bo- most special Moment was, but I, I would say every fifteen minutes of that offered something special. So, uh, it, what a what a great memory! It continues to feed my soul every time I look at pictures, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and trying to figure out how to do it again. That's right.
1: Well, I, if you do figure out a way to do it again, uh, make sure to give me a ring because I would. Uh, well, no, I intend <laughs> to. No, I think
3: now that you know, I'm I'm trying to get back into Italy, uh, and and do there's there's some good hikes that are in the, uh, oh, what's the range? I'm forgetting right now. That's embarrassing. North of Naples. But uh, yeah, there's some other, you know, 75. It's not quite as long, but uh, I think our wives will be okay if we're gone not as long next time.
1: Well, that was an awesome trip. You know, uh, we did it over the 4th of July holiday and on the 4th of July, I can remember my grandmother actually passed away and that was uh, a very challenging day. But you mentioned the idea of just walking together and being together. And there were several hours actually that day where it was just looking at the flowers and the trees and the mountains and the rivers, but then just being among other people. It was a, that was a powerful uh, moment for me, but I can remember during that, uh, you being up in front of the group and singing hymns acapella as you were walking. And that was a really encouraging, because a lot of the hymns you sang were favorite hymns from my grandmother. And so it was, uh, there were some special, special times there, but uh, great, great trip. I wanted to reminisce with that with you
3: on the podcast oh, a little bit. <laughs> One of my favorite things for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Anytime uh, Adam talks about that trip, he can't ever narrow down a single moment either. And as one of the wives, I'll say, y'all go. If it takes two weeks to get your (laughs) romances on and get those, (laughs) you know, y'all take it, go do it, because that's a you know a memory of a lifetime. But uh, Joseph, yeah, Joseph, going back, um, really did when Justin and I were first talking. You're one of the first people that we said we have to have on here. He's just a man of many, many talents. He's well-spoken. He loves the Lord. It's quite obvious. So one of the questions we had was, if you were going to write a book, what would it be about and why?
3: Well, that might change from day to day. I think honestly right now, I guess the answer that I have right now, the thing I've been chewing on most recently is a function of what's kind of been happening in the public policy space with the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe versus Wade. So there's been this renewed debate about abortion, and that's going to happen basically in every state. And one of the things that has struck me that I think is missing from this debate is the really where abortion comes from. And I don't honestly think on either side of the abortion debate, most people don't love abortion. There are some people who think it's terrible and shouldn't be legal. And frankly, I'm one of those. And then there are people who think it's terrible, but is kind of a necessary evil. But I think the way we think, of, I, the connection between abortion and the sexual revolution is one that is that I think most people have not um, understood as well as we should. And that really abortion is is essentially a solution to a problem is that this the the thesis of the sexual revolution is I should be able to do whatever I want with my genitalia whenever I want to. And that's the way people become happy. And the worst thing someone could be asked to do is to restrain their sexual urges. And of course, abortion is simply a a way to deal with the consequences of our sexual activity. And we have somehow created a culture where it is less bad to tell somebody don't have sex than it is to kill the children that result from that sex, and I think and abortion is just the beginning of the consequences of this because even if there's no unintended pregnancies and abortion, you're still still dealing with emotional just destruction, hearts that are broken. You have all sorts of you know baggage that you're carrying around from being used and discarded over and over and over and from using and discarding people over and over and over again. So. I would like us to understand that even if we got all the abortion policy correct, from my perspective, um, we would still have massive problems as long as we have a world that believes that it is right and good and just to be able to do whatever you want with whomever you want as long as everybody consents. And that that's really, um, that's the abortion is a symptom, not a root cause. And we're not going to we're not going to solve the real problem of abortion until we start thinking more clearly about what to do with our bodies. And so I'd like to, I guess if I were to write a book, I'd try to make the case that, uh, that uh, that sex matters i don't know why i call it that um but um, but that's the general that's the general point you know related to this and i'll say this as we're just kind of meandering is um i actually believe i know the solution to poverty and i think across political uh, plot across the political spectrum everybody wants to get rid of poverty right and and i can say with a great deal of confidence that in the western world and in the united states that if no one has sex with somebody they're not married to for 20 years poverty disappears but not only poverty, you get rid of you know, fatherlessness is gone. A lack of educational achievement is gone. Uh, um, you have mental health problems that basically go away. There will never be another school shooting. All of these things that we'd like to deal with, all directly connected to the fact that we, have, we, we make irresponsible sexual decisions. So um, that's what I'm thinking about these days.
2: No, I love that answer. And I wonder where you got that idea from.
3: You seem to know the answer. Where did you get that idea from?
2: Yeah. I mean, it comes straight from scripture, right?
3: Oh, well, yes. Well, yes, yes, yes. I mean, ultimately, that's that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's it goes back to the thesis that God knows what's best for us. And to the extent that we just rebel against that, we just deal with the consequences. and And the sexual revolution is a giant assumption that we're smarter than God.
2: Right. So, um, I know in your, in your job, I don't, I don't think writing a book is part of your, is part of your job, but what is your favorite part about working where you currently work at?
3: Well, I, um, I can write. And and honestly, I have, I'm kind of at a position where I feel like YouTube videos have greater reach than books. And so I spend more time doing those things, um, because I think you, you just get a bigger audience, um, from that. But, um, What I love most is, is I talk about worldview and I spend, especially this summer, I spend a lot of time talking to young people, 13 to 19 year olds, and then some groups that are college age. And it's really fun to see like the light come on for people because there's a lot of kids who are confused as well. They see their friends who are in pain, maybe in their own life. Um, They have believed that as long as they do what feels good, they're going to be happy because that's what the world tells them over and over. And so they give themselves enthusiastically to doing what feels good and they're miserable and they don't understand why. And it is really fun when you see some like the light come on for somebody and suddenly all the confusion that they had about why they're so miserable, despite doing everything that they want to do and, and trying their hardest to be happy, why it doesn't work and understanding why their friends are in the way, in the situation that they're in, why the world around them sees so broken. In many cases, it's just their own families. And to see people begin to um, get clarity in just the chaos that is in their mind about way the, wor- the way the world works and why it works that way and, and why everything they're being told is the path to happiness isn't actually creating happiness. So, Helping people. And then they ask questions, you know, what do I talk to my, my kid, my friends, and I have a kid come up to me uh, last week and he said, you know, there's a kid on my swim team and he just got his first trans shot. And he said, it's because both of his parents are now trans and his two best friends at school are trans. And so he's just surrounded by this stuff. Right. And because it is a real social contagion. He's like, what do you do about that? And and helping them sort through uh, for their own sake, how do you have a conversation? How do you love them well? How do you be respectful but not give an inch on the truth? And and those kind of things for a world that is just cautiously, nervously um, trying to navigate this stuff and give them some confidence um, is really fulfilling. Well, I'm
1: glad that you really enjoy doing that because that's what we want you to do more of on this podcast today. Well, let's do it. (laughs) Because really uh, the main thing we wanted to chat with you about is really this idea of uh, your principles and your values. And you know, the goal of this is not necessarily to say that everyone has to agree, like you mentioned earlier, with our principles and values, but the fact that you should have some and then how do you stick by them? How do you live them out? Where do you, uh, how do you define your principles? Uh, But really when I think about you, I think about, someone who even just in the few minutes we've already had on this podcast, like you don't shy away from the controversial things. Uh, There's a lot of contests you might be trying to win, but popularity is probably not uh, towards the top, you know, (laughs) on there. So he reminded me a little bit of Bob Goff. I was listening to him on a podcast recently and he said, you know, I've been a trial attorney for over 30 years. And he said, I decided to stop doing that and write a book. And then I realized there was like, some people liked the book and some people didn't and having to deal with the opinions and what people thought about it. But that's a struggle for some of us. The struggle for some of us is want to be liked, want to, be want to get along with everyone. And sometimes that goes in conflict to our values. So we're really wanting you to shine some light on that struggle uh, that many of us feel. And one of the ways I'd like you to do that is just for you to share a time when your principles or values were challenged and you really had to stick by them, even though it may have cost you something. And again, the point isn't that we're trying to convince people of your exact principles and values, but the fact that you had them and what it was like sticking by them.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, you know, to the the point of how people view you and the degree to which you care about that, there is an exchange in uh, the the series, The Band of Brothers. And I don't remember exactly uh, which episode it was in, but some version of you really become the soldier you're supposed to become once you accept the fact that you're already dead. And once you no longer have a fear of death, when you have accepted that I'm not going home and I'm going to die, that is the moment at which you can become a soldier that is useful because you're no longer living afraid. You've accepted your fate and your destiny. There's a real biblical corollary to that as well, because it is, as Paul says this, it's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith through through the one who died and gave himself for me. So as Christians, we would say it's not my life, it's his life, and he's free to do with it. Exactly as he wishes. And I went through a moment, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago now, something like this, when I was considering taking an activist job in Washington state, where I knew that my, you know, that the the way I was going to be defined in opposition to same sex marriage in that case was not really the reputation I wanted to have. But very clearly, one of the few times God has really spoken to me in my life in a really clear way, he said, I need you to surrender your reputation. And and I took my reputation, and I that day I got on my knees, and I'd never even considered what that meant. But this the thing is, for Americans in particular, for a personal brand culture, um, we value this invisible thing so much, and we protect it, and we fight to preserve it, and we clean our Google searches up when we hire companies to make sure that they find the things that we want them to find and they don't find the things that we don't want them to find all because we want to manage the way that we are perceived. And I have found one of the most freeing things in my life is to, I I, I killed it a long time ago, right? And the moment that you accept your reputation is dead and you just don't spend any time thinking about it, it it, it's complete freedom like a soldier because then you can just do what you know is right. And for Christians, it's like, now I can just obey. I'm not worried about what Gallup is going to think, or my neighbor is going to think, or the kids, you know, people at work or people at school are going to think. It's just, the question is, is God pleased with this or not? And if he is, then let's go. And if he's not, then let's hold on. And that doesn't mean, of course, that I'm going to be belligerent, treat people terribly and, and, uh, and try to make enemies because that's not what what is what is honoring to the Lord. Um, but it does mean that I don't have to spend my time obsessing over how somebody else is going to react to what I'm going to do. And if I can, in a good conscience and um, confidently say, I think this is the right thing to do, then I'm going to do it. And so that, I mean, that itself is a principle uh, that is that has provided me uh, tremendous freedom. I
1: really love that. And I mentioned my grandmother earlier. And one of the things that always uh, stuck out to me about her was she would just really at time act completely crazy in a fun way. And she just didn't really care what people thought about her. But then there was this weird dichotomy that she was super sensitive to people and like what they were feeling. And and it always struck me because it seemed that when I was a teenager, I can remember going through a phase where I cared what everybody thought about me. And it was all about popularity and peer pressure. Right. And then I woke up one day and said, it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Kind of like you mentioned earlier, because in the end, I don't answer to them. So I'm just going to do what I think's right. The problem is I went too far and I didn't care how people felt. And that's one of the things I loved about my grandmother. She didn't care about what people thought about her, but she did care about how people felt about things and about themselves. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something that we sometimes get off. But I love yeah. the way you walk that balance <laughs> on that.
3: Well, I think those things are completely compatible because it really is. It's it's the, old added, it's the old definition of humility that I found to be helpful. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less, right? And what your grandma was illustrating is that it's not that I don't care about you. It's just that the less I worry about myself, I'm actually free to care about other people more. And specifically, as Christians, if we are trying to submit ourselves to the will and mind of God, it's our job to see and think about other people the way he does, which is to have great concern about their well-being and who they are. And it just means we have more energy emotionally and otherwise to care about other people because we're not obsessing with what's going on with us. We just, we have different priorities. And, and so, yeah, I think those things are, um, are, are, are super compatible. And I think that actually one naturally leads to the other, the less we're worried about ourselves and what people think of us, it frees us. Um, to really love other people the way that we're supposed to. Now, not everybody's going to see it that way because God's definition of love and the world's definitions of love are different. And um, God's definition of love requires us to hate evil and love what is good and to not celebrate certain things that uh, that the world would tell us we, we must celebrate. And so it, um, we have to let God be the judge of whether we're loving someone. Sometimes they will that other person will agree with that when we're feeding the hungry and we're visiting the imprisoned and we're clothing the naked, they will see God's love as love. Sometimes when we love people the way God wants us to, um, they don't perceive it that way.
2: Right. And I and I think what you are saying too is that a lot of times um we can't let fear, you know, it's in our way and we talk about fear a lot on here because it seems to be one thing that holds people back, it's just a, a fear of rejection or a fear of not being liked. And, and you were talking about, you know, teenagers earlier that you're able to, to kind of walk and guide and, and we both have rising seniors. So a lot of this I'm thinking, man, I wish I could put, you know, this into one, one statement um, for any, for any of the younger generation, you know, listening. So if you could boil it down to like, what's one principle or value but if you, you know, if you just had to, if you wanted everyone to know, what would it be? What would be the one thing that you've kind of stuck to and that seen you through?
3: Yeah. Well, th- I have actually summarized this lately. I am a I am the occasional guest host of a show called Washington Watch. And it's a daily news program that's on NRB TV and find it at Tonyperkins.com. I host the show on Fridays, and then I will actually be doing it the entire month of August. Um, but I end every show by saying fear God and nothing else. And that is uh, a summary, I think, of, of what you're describing there, Kinsey, is this idea that I think it is fear that is our greatest obstacle. Now, there are some things. to it, We are supposed to have the fear of God, which is what's self-correcting, right? It keeps us from just being sociopaths. It, can, it, it keeps us from being uh, complete fools and self-destructive um, because there, there are um, limits, And the founders would refer to that as ordered liberty, right? That's the concept of they didn't give their lives fortunes and sacred honor for liberty. They gave it for ordered liberty because a world in which everybody just does what they want all the time is um, not a place any of us want to live, right? So it's, it's liberty balanced by integrity and balanced by virtue. And that comes from inside of us, not from outside of us. And I tell my kids all the time, if you do not control yourself, someone else is going to control you. So it is with a country, right? If we do not have the ability to make good decisions on our own, we are going to force someone else to spend their energy and time, and they're going to be frustrated doing so, but they are going to be required to spend their time and energy controlling what you do because you cannot be trusted to do it yourself, right? And that's that's kind of what we're dealing with, with the moral decay of a country and people who not only don't exercise self control they don't even see the exercise of self control as something worth aspiring to right and so we have people who are just doing all manner of self destructive things to that affect them and their kids and and everyone around them so um i don't even know if i'm answering a question i just started talking <laughs> but yeah i I'm back to this uh, you know yeah, yeah. fear god and nothing else it, it it's this idea of of once, once you don't value trivial, superficial things like a reputation, and once you are really um, committed, and I, I, I speak as an expert on this, and certainly I struggle with this like everybody else does, right? And so I don't, I don't want to sound like I've figured this out, but that's the, this is the aspiration I think for me and for my kids. Is that you don't value things that are worthless, and you value things that matter a great deal, and that means you know things like your reputation, things that are that are uh, malleable and easily changed in feelings and all of those things of yourself or other people. You just don't spend most of your time on that, and you invest in the things that really matter: people, uh, people, and people. Mm.
2: Yeah, we always say around our house that the only thing we can take to heaven with us is our children. So that's what we're going to invest yeah. in. Well, our children and our no, other people um, right. can't take anything else with us.
3: Right. Mm. Nothing matters.
1: Well, Joseph, you're, as we've already heard, you're on the front lines of the culture war that's going on. And uh, you mentioned the moral decay. And you're you're fighting often to try to prevent that and, and help us to hold on to the To the goodness out there, I want to talk a little bit more about what our role should be in that, and then also some tools and tips and resources. I've got a few other things I want to unpack with you, but uh, we'll just just pause for a quick break and we're going to pick up these other questions uh, right after the commercial. So hang tight. We'll be back with you guys shortly.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Improver Network. Members of The Improver Network get exclusive access to bonus episodes of our podcast, Additional member benefits include educational content, encouraging community, and practical coaching to accelerate personal and professional growth. For more information about becoming a member, visit improver.network today.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Improver Network podcast. Justin and Kinsey here with Mr. Joseph Backholm and We are continuing our conversation on principles and values and what actually has importance in our lives. And once we identify that and designate that, uh, how do we stick by it and how do we live in consistent uh, and consistently within those values and principles? So Joseph is really just encouraging us and enlightening us here. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that you're on the front lines of the culture war Uh, But sometimes some of the rest of us, we almost feel a little helpless or like we're on the outside looking in and we see things on the news and we hear about advocacy groups or whatever the thing is going on out there. And we're just like, ah, that just seems so far from where I am because I'm just I'm trying to do my job and pay my bills and raise my kids and, you know, enjoy good food. And yet there's this whole like raging machine that's happening out there. So what encouragement and advice would you offer our audience as it relates to that, where we've been, where we're going, what is our role in
3: this? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that, uh, you know, for, for people who are not in my space all the time, I'm in many ways jealous, and, and I think that's fine, you know, that um, I don't want a world where everybody's a political activist because that messes with you, right? But there is also this reality that we as Americans, I mean, when, when you are When you live in a self governing system, and it really is an honor to do so, we stand on the shoulders of people um, who gave a lot. And they built, sometimes I describe our country as as essentially a greenhouse. They created an environment where we were, where they made it possible for us to flourish in ways that people never have. The American um, amount of success, the quality of life, the standard of living, however you want to measure that. Um, what we what we enjoy right now is unprecedented, even factoring in COVID, right, and some real stress that that caused in the response to that in our lives. I mean, the the poorest among us in America today live in ways that the wealthiest among us a hundred years ago couldn't have even imagined, in the, in, in the technology that they have access to, and heat and plumbing and transportation and all of these things, right? And but it's not an accident that the United States has the opportunity and the, uh, prosperity that it has, which has also allowed us to our credit to become the most generous people that have ever lived, right? When there's a hurricane, uh, they don't call the Sudanese. They don't even really call the French though. Sometimes they're okay too, right? They call the Americans and we come help people. Um, and, and what, what's important for, for us to understand, and sometimes I analogize this to like my house my, at home with my kids and my 11-year-old son, if he was allowed to, he would play video games all day. Now, he likes to do other things as well, but he would spend a lot of time doing that. And sometimes I have to interrupt him from his video games, because why does why does he have the ability to sit there in comfort, in a temperature, climate-controlled room, go to the refrigerator anytime he wants, get as much food as he wants, then go lay in his comfortable bed and go to a shower, all of these things that he did not create. He has nothing to do with why those exist. He just gets to enjoy them. And what do I get to do is shut off his video games. And I say, you need to come over here and you need to mow the lawn. You need to help me fix this window. You need to help me work on this stuff. Because if all you ever do is sit there and play video games and enjoy the environment that has been given to you, it will eventually fall apart around you, right? And so I see what we do with public policy and with politics. And I don't want people to care about those more than everything else in their life because your kids are more important. Your family's more important, right? But this is a system that requires maintenance, just like your house. And if you never mow the lawn, you're not going to like your lawn in a few months. If you never fix your roof, pretty soon it's going to get wet inside and it's going to get moldy and you're going to have problems. And that's what we're dealing with culturally and nationally as well. A system was built, we get to enjoy it, but we also are obligated to do maintenance on that system and make sure that it's around that we can pass it on to our kids. So that's how I see this entire system. I'm not trying to convince everybody to drop their lives and go you know, run for office, though I hope good people will. Um, but all of us have some role to play in making sure that we are uh, performing the necessary maintenance to make sure that what we have been given can be passed on.
1: If someone was
2: out
3: yeah, there, I, their- I, so go ahead, Kinsey.
2: Yeah, I love that idea that we all have a role to play. And I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm really scared to to play that role and to tell my kids um, how to think politically because I, I tend to just, you know, listen to Adam and hear what he has to say and agree with that because I, I need your help. Like I'm wrestling um, with the thought of like, how much should... Um, how influential should my faith be on my political views? And I, I feel like the answer is like, Kinzie, don't separate those. Don't categorize those. Don't compartmentalize that. But help me understand, like, like how do I form political views based off my faith? And when is it okay to, you know, to wrestle and struggle with those? Because, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years, even inside our our church that political views can divide, you know, Christians who tend to have the same, uh, basic theological background. So help me, help me with
3: that wrestle. Yeah. Well, well now you're getting to my wheelhouse and I actually have about three hours of content on that very question. Um, but we don't have time for that right now, but basically, I mean, how much should my faith influence my fill in the blank? And, uh, for Christians, the answer is entirely now that does not mean that there's always a very clear answer to the question, Right. How, should, how much should my faith influence uh, my marriage? How much should my faith influence the way I conduct my business? How much should my faith influence the way I treat my children? And the answer is entirely. And, and, and so the question is, 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 not, is this political? Is this not political? Is this a business issue or is this a financial issue or is this a government issue or is this a family issue, whatever that is? For Christians, I think the question is, does God care or does God not care? if God cares, then I care. If God doesn't care, I don't have to care. I'm not sure God cares, you know, if I wore a blue tie or a red tie today, I'm, you know, there's, there's lots of things that I, are just kind of prudential, but when God has an opinion, we have to have an opinion. And, and, and so that's, I think the perspective we bring to these, these political discussions. Now, does God care if the, uh, the, um, Corporate marginal tax rate is 15% or 20%. I don't know. You know, I think I can make an argument that's more practical about why one might be better than the other based on, you know, my personal perspective of how effectively the government ever uses people's money and whether that's a good way to get things done. Right. But I don't take that specifically from scripture. So I think reasonable minds can agree on those things. I think what God says about uh, the issue of abortion is much clearer what god says about the issue of like marriage what does he think that institution is and are we allowed to do whatever we want with whoever we want and and he's he does he feel fine about that some of these questions are actually quite clear uh, biblically so i think they're quite clear for us uh, biblically but there are many questions that we debate i used to work on the transportation committee in washington state and we would spend hours and hours debating, um, you know, like uh, all these uh, offsets, carbon offsets. And, you know, what do you do for retention ponds when you knock down these 14 trees over here to expand your roundabout? And then you're going to create these retention ponds and those things. And, And those are just kind of like you just use your brain and your judgment and try to make a good decision, right? It's very harder to say there's a very clear biblical principle here. But ultimately, when it comes to all of life, I think the first question for Christians is does God care? And the the trick, and what I increasingly see in the church is this attempt to say, well, people disagree. In the church, Christians disagree. The Bible is really ambiguous about everything, and it's kind of fuzzy, and so we don't really know uh, really what God says about anything. And so we're not gonna impose one opinion on anybody else and you can still be a Christian and a good person and be loving and all those things. But what that ultimately does is it puts me back in charge of what I think about everything. And I think that's a really convenient um, kind of more recent cop-out in the church to say, I wanna be in charge. I'm not gonna say I don't like the Bible. I'm just gonna say- There's no way of knowing what God thinks. So if there's no way of knowing what God thinks, then it's just up to me, which is no different than the analysis that the atheist does, which is it's just up to me. So um, as Christians, I think we believe not only that God spoke things to us, but there is a way to know what he said about some things.
0: Mm
1: there's a store that recently opened in our area and they've got a big neon sign and says live your truth it doesn't sound like you would agree with that sentiment <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> not you, your you're truth about right? that. live your truth there's not your truth uh yes. that's the little subtle thing right there's the truth and
3: that's what you're getting at uh well, there, so. <laughs> yeah yeah it, 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 it's a dangerous world when everybody wants to create their own version of truth and certainly those will conflict and i mean people do have different experiences and different perspectives and those are worth listening to and considering. Um, but ultimately it, it, it's, it's is—it's—it's destructive if we all think that there's actually nothing that's really true and knowable because then we're all just ships and islands unto ourselves mm-hmm. doing whatever we want to do. And that causes problems. Sure.
1: So you got Justin and Kinsey, and, you know, we're trying to live our life and we were maybe a little bit intimidated at first, but now you've encouraged us to let our faith prompt us into action and like, you know, do something, but you're also saying, Hey, you don't have to turn your whole lives upside down and be a, an activist or to do this, but you've got these principles and values you need to maintain them. So like, what's something practical that like we could be thinking about, Oh, here's something that we could do on a local state national level, other than go out and vote. Um, what is something you can say, Hey, look, if you want to conserve your values and you want to try to maintain this greenhouse that allows for growth and life, uh, yeah. where, where would we start? Smart.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great question. And, and my, my kind of canned answer to that, especially with a Christian audience and, and people that I'm often dealing with is, is I don't know what God has made you for. I don't know your combination of gifts and passions and talents, but I know that God made you for something. And I'm most interested in people really trying to figure out what that is and being obedient to it. The thing I always talk to my kids is, is I want them to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and obey and have the courage to obey when he speaks right cuz i can't make enough rules to anticipate every situation they're going to be in but if they are genuinely and sincerely trying to understand god's will and then they have the courage to obey once that's discerned we can we can get through anything right and that happens in the same way when it comes to even what we do in business and what we do um, professionally what we do educationally I mean it really and, and then what we do politically or how involved we get in something whether whether this is a, a a mountain we decide to climb or not whether that's you know you can't fight every battle and sometimes you just got to let things pass um, but but I know God, puts things in front of us uh, for a purpose and a reason. And I think we know generally if this is an assignment he's given to us or if it's not. Um, And so I really, I want people to just be in the mindset of expect God to be bringing things into your path for a purpose. And if you pass on all of them, say that's somebody else's problem, that's somebody else's problem, that's somebody else's problem, Um, pretty soon he's not gonna find you very useful and you'll find the opportunities going away. But I think we should live with this awareness that God has me here for a reason, and on a regular basis, I'm going to be seeing that reason. Maybe it's just this person that I ran into in this restaurant just needs some encouragement. And maybe that's that reason in that moment. That's, that's the, the, the assignment that he gave me. Maybe it's a 10-year assignment, right? It could be a 10-minute assignment. It could be a 10-year assignment. But it's a, it's a function of just living in awareness that we constantly have an assignment. Um, and in this specific space, if we're going to talk about public policy, how do we make the world better? Uh, I think we had to take over the school system. Um, to me, that's the that's the heart of where it's at. And I know that uh, you guys are homeschool families and and, and we're a private uh, a private Christian school family. But I think, um, you know, frankly, I'd like to see every school board in America dominated by homeschool parents. And uh, because there's there's just so much harm being done to, to kids these days. And I was just on a plane. No, two days ago, I guess, it was on, um, and with a guy whose kids were in public school, and he's he certainly doesn't share my faith and worldview, but he was just lamenting the insanity that his kids are dealing with, and just struggling with how to deal with this, um, because he he comes from a very different perspective, but sees all the problems, and 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 that system is just it's just breaking so many kids, and so we've got to fix that so kids are not just being in miseducated as effectively as they are right now in really destructive ways. So for me, uh, most of what we're dealing with culturally, if we want to rebuild it, restore it, fix some things, it starts with changing the environment the kids are being educated slash discipled in because they're being discipled one way or another. And that of course is a churchy term that means something to us, but you're always being discipled. You're learning how to do things. What's right. What ought to be um, the way to behave day by day, moment by moment. And right now most kids are being discipled in really destructive ways, often by TikTok and YouTube. <laughs> uh,
2: you kind of, you kind of open the door for that. So we do homeschool and in our homeschool community, One of the big things we say is, you know, every mom and dad has a has a part to play. You know, there's always something to do. And so I heard you say, you know, get on that school board. But what are some other roles um, where we can live out our principles that we may not know about? What are some of the committees, the local committees, the local the local boards that we should be looking to try to influence as believers?
3: Well, I think we should be trying to influence everything as believers. And of course, there's, I mean, local governments, there are school boards, there's there's city councils, there's county commissioners, there's state state legislatures, and of course there's federal offices, which more people know about. But there are so many local offices that go unfilled because nobody runs for them, um, and it really uh, for, for Christians in, in in public in public space in the public life. I just encourage us to see everything as a mission field, where every place that truth is taken, it goes better. That's true at the school board. It's true in Congress. It's true in the boardroom. Everywhere where people are are are. Making decisions that conform to what God has told us is true. If we do that consistently, if we're honest, we're living with integrity. We're not trying to rip people off. We're not trying to take advantage of people. We're living for the best interest of others, not the best interest of of necessarily my quarterly statement or my you know my reelection, whatever it might incentivize us to cut corners or be dishonest. If we're just living well, um, living for others, that will just make life better everywhere you go. And the temptation is constantly to put yourself first. And so, yeah, it's a, it's the city hall, it's Congress, it's wall street, it's everywhere.
1: All right. Big challenge out there to our listeners. You need to be thinking about praying about where should you go? What should you be doing? But if you're sitting on the sidelines, we need you in the game. Right. Uh, So Joseph, you know, obviously you mentioned earlier, Hey, I've got this principle that I live by and this Do you actually have like um, like a code or like a list of like, Mm -hmm. here are my here are my core values or is this just something that's like, man, you were you were raising them and you try to walk in these and it's just become a part of who you are. Have you defined and listed these in any way for your family or for yourself or how do you think about that? And is that something that you would encourage people to do to say, hey, do you know what you really, I don't know if you've ever done the exercise where you write your own uh, like obituary, you know, your own uh, eulogy and like think about that. But what's your opinion on that whole deal when it comes to your principles and your values?
3: Yeah, well, I'm afraid in some ways I'm kind of the anti-Justin Winstead um, because and this might might be a a dangerous question for you to ask me on the Improver Network where I know everybody's trying to improve. But the truth is, if I'm going to be honest, and I've just encouraged people not to lie, I have never made a plan. And I mean, (laughs) like I've never like I don't have any five year plans. I don't have any ten year plans. And I'm not saying that this is the right way to do it. But my but the approach has always been for me that. So many things are going to happen between now and five years from now that I can't anticipate that my plan is going to get derailed anyway. So, you know, the plan, such as I have it, is let's just obey today. I tell young people all the time who are really impatient about things when I talk to them to focus on who you are becoming, not what you are accomplishing. And I guess that is a principle if I want to distill this is, is I define success and failure over the course of a day or a week on, have I become more of who God wants me to be than I was yesterday or last week? And what I found is that, allows God, it just makes me available and useful. And really, I don't want my plans. (laughs) Everything that I've done in the last 15 years, much of which has been hard, all of which has been awesome. The last three jobs I've had, none of them existed before I had the job. And so I couldn't have possibly sat down and said, I want to do this, then I want to do this and what I want to do this. But I, th- I really think it's this I, God's ways are better than my ways. His plans are better than my plans. He will give you an exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask or think. And that's kind of the adventure of just obedience. I found, which and I, it could be a cop out. It could be just laziness. The fact that I don't want to make a plan. But what I have found is that, you know, if I'm going to obey today, here's an assignment that I'm pretty sure he's given me. I'm going to throw myself into it. I'm going to try to be faithful in this. And then if he opens another door, then I'll walk through that one, too. Um, but that's been my plan is focus. And and I've, I have seen other people be discouraged. And again, other people don't operate the way that I do. So I'm not sure this, this is the right way to always do it. Um, and, and I'm saving money for retirement, right? I'm doing things that are forward looking and I'm trying to like be a responsible human, but I don't have any, I don't have a place that I hope to be in 20 years other than married to my wife and loving my kids. And maybe at that point, grandkids, right? That, that, that's the extent of my plan um, between you know professionally and what God does with me. I'm happy to let him uh, take care of that. And I have found that just like, just try to be obedient today um, and then see what he does with that. So far it's been working. I feel like.
1: So yeah. we said that about plans. So I'm guessing that means that you don't have a list of values or things like that. Yeah. None of that's in there.
3: Well, okay. and, and again, the list yeah. of values, if I, if I have it, it's, you know, and, and I, I referred to it earlier is fear God and nothing else. And I think about there it all go. the time, right? Yeah. Because fear is a constant temptation. It's a constant temptation and sometimes caution is wisdom, but that is a, that if there's a guiding principle, that's what it is, is, is this decision is, is my hesitation here is this responsibility or is this temptations to toward fear am i fearing the wrong things am i worried about the wrong things is this a lack of faith or is this just prudence right and and so i'm constantly making do, going through that evaluation because i don't want to be i don't want to be reckless in my sure. life but i also do want to live fearlessly where where i am willing to do things that god wants me to do even when they're hard even when there's risk because I think that's when you really start living in faith, right? When you, you when you step out and God is, you have no choice but to let Him intervene in that situation, uh, because you basically cut the you cut the branch you're sitting on off.
1: That's interesting. I hear people juxtapose faith and fear all the time, but it's interesting to juxtapose faith and wisdom, because it's almost like what's prudent, what's wise, and sometimes that that kind of gets in the way of what what is trust, because you go well this would be faithful and trusting, but it seems unwise because of all the risk or all the potential uh, dangers. So that's interesting. Uh, Kenzie, what were you going to add in there?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, you may not have a, you know, written down list, but it sounds like you have um, guide rails in your life that you kind of, you know, bounce things off of. And you, you do have a plan. Your plan is to, is to follow God and be obedient to him. So it's, It's not necessarily the way that others would do it, but like you said, it's worked for you. So yeah. I was just going to compliment you on that. That it seems it seems to be working as far as we can we can see as as we as you allow us to observe your life, And we kind of walk through life with y'all pretty closely for yeah. two years, and um, you know, I wouldn't describe you as this you know person
3: good. I I don't want to be, but the truth is I'm jealous of people who have, you know, they have like quarterly meetings with their spouse and then, and then they, you know, go through their budget again and they make all these decisions and their vacations are planned 14 months in advance. And, you know, and I look at that and I'm like, there's something that I really admire about that. And and I've actually had moments in life where I kind of tried to implement that. And I'm just so bad at the follow through. And, uh, I, I, I'm, I don't know that that's a strength. And in some ways I think it's a weakness, but I also think in some ways it's just maybe how God's wired me. And I'm thankful for people who are really organized, who can like keep books diligently and, uh, and our, you know, our detailed spreadsheet planner people. Um, cause I think the world needs them and I hire them to take care of my stuff. Um, but I just have not figured out how to be that.
1: Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. Well, hey, uh, as we get ready to kind of close out, uh, just curious if you have any tools, tips, resources, hacks, uh, as people are like, man, I really – and I I get it, you know, the planning and necessarily the shortcuts aren't your thing. You just got to keep it simple. But is there any – if you were to point people towards, you know, a website or a resource of some type, what would you encourage people to look at as they're trying to figure out, like, what their values are and maybe – Maybe they're wanting to be informed, like they're, like Kenzie was saying, hey, I may want to join the city council or the yeah. school board, but I really want to be informed about uh, what matters and know not just what I believe, but why I believe what I believe. So what yeah. resources would you recommend?
3: Well, um, if you want to find some of those places where I contribute to things, I, I write at... Uh, Uh, Washington stand is a, is a new news outlet of the family research council. Um, I also write for world opinions, world magazine. Is a news opinion, is a news magazine, and there's a, an opinion section that I write for. That's WNG.org. Some of my favorite, uh, also, news sources uh, from a Christian worldview, helping people to kind of work through things. Uh, Al Moeller has a, has a daily podcast uh, called The Briefing, which I think is excellent. A similar, much shorter version of that is Breakpoint, that comes from the Colson Center. And that's a great podcast. It's kind of, that's kind of five minute versions of the briefing is closer to 30 minute, 20 to 30 minute version, kind of a, a breakdown of the day's news from a Christian worldview. Um, those are great resources uh, to be, you know. Educated and kind of understand what's going on in the world, and I think especially for parents, um, it's good for parents to know. But what's I think most important, one of the primary reasons parents need to know is because they need to be able to talk to their kids about these things. Because if we are not influencing how our kids think about and respond to the world around us, other people are. Your kids are being discipled. If they're not being discipled by you, they're being discipled by someone else. And and it's very important that we as parents, and it is hard work. Do the hard work of filling ourselves with a enough that we have something to give to them. And that's, of course, not just political news, that's primarily the scripture, right? That's why we have to be uh, every day diligently in the word hearing from God so that we have something to give to them because if we're empty ourselves, uh, we're not very useful to other people. Uh, so those are some resources.
1: I would yeah. Thank you say. for that. That's a great list. And I, and I appreciate that encouragement too. Uh, Kenzie, Kenzie and I were talking a few weeks ago about a workshop that we did and it was kind of a business slash per, uh, personal growth type mm-hmm. workshop. But one of the things we pulled out of it was a uh, verbiage that we could use while raising our children. And it, sometimes when you explore these things and you want to learn, it's not just about, you, but sometimes people know what it is they believe or what they feel is right and wrong, but they don't know how to express that or communicate that. And so these resources I think can be good for somebody that's like, well, hey, I know where I fall on these issues and maybe there's more to learn on those, but maybe you don't know how to express that or replicate that. And that's uh, part of what we're trying to do at the improver network is send out content, not just so people can learn, but so they can learn in a way that they can then go and, And share. So I do appreciate uh, you doing that. You didn't. You mentioned podcast and websites and like that. Do you have a favorite book or two that you think uh, for those people who just like to read old school wise? uh... Old
3: old school reading (laughs) when that was done.
1: Yeah, with paper. Um,
3: (laughs) I actually do read books. None of them are necessarily connected with like. They're not self improvement books necessarily. No, that's okay. You're kind of. I I would defer to you, frankly, on that stuff, Justin.
1: No, but just about uh, principles or values or maybe how your faith influences your ideology or any of that. Uh, anything come to mind for you on that? Or just a fiction book or whatever you whatever yeah. you like to read. Just anything you'd. Uh, well, think would be good. the things
3: that I've read most recently are. Um, what I read: "The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self." That's not that recently, um, by Carl Truman, which is a really important book for people who are confused about what we're dealing with today. Um, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy does a great job of explaining kind of the sexual revolution and the connection to um, how we view what it means to be human, which is an important question. It It's not as deep as it sounds, um, but it's like what? What am I? Is it you know? It's Descartes. Rene Descartes said, "I think, therefore I am." And there are a lot of people who has this idea that I am my mind. That that is me, and and I have been attached to this body kind of coincidentally through all of these random um, mutations over eons of time. And there's not necessarily any purpose for the reason the fact that my mind has been attached to this particular body. And that's a really common view of what it means to be human, which influences our view of certain human sexuality and things like abortion and what makes you a person and what makes you not a person. Human rights implicates a lot of these issues. And so that book, Love Thy Body, I think is insightful. It's not a new book anymore, um, but it's a really good one that I hadn't read uh, recently. Those are a couple, um, but those are really just about how to think about the crazy world that we're living in.
1: Well, I love that. And I'm sure if people look into that, they're going to see values and principles that are in there. So Good deal. Is there anything that you wish we would have talked about or a question you wish we would have asked, but we didn't Um, anything that you'd like to say kind of in closing here?
3: No, I, you know, values and principles. I think everybody, you know, the, the, the purpose that you're trying to serve and and you're helping people just kind of understand who they are and who God made them to be. And and that would be my ultimate encouragement is, is um, don't try to be, Justin Winstead or Kinsey or Joseph or, you know, Jack Welch or whoever else it is that you read and admire. And just have patience and an appreciation for the fact that God has each of us on our own journey.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and
3: that to me is the principle is, and, and I said it earlier, but I'll say it again, focus on who you're becoming, not mm-hmm. on what you're accomplishing. And um, if, if we focus on kind of the, if the quarterlies are our measure, measure of success and our, and our identity and those things, that can be discouraging depending on the time and the season. Um, and, and God may have other things that he's trying to do in us right now. And he's much more interested in our character than our comfort. And he usually uses our discomfort to sharpen our character. And uh, so when we are uncomfortable, that could be exactly where he <laughs> intends us to be and not because we're doing something <laughs> wrong. And uh, you know that for me is a principle that has gotten me through a lot of hard days. And, uh, you know, so it it, it really just let God take us on our own journey and not try to be somebody else's path.
1: I love that. That is that's really core to what we are attempting to do here at the Improver Network. Part of our premise is that we believe God has put us on the planet to do that. And so we've got three things we really try to do. We want to help people discover their purpose, become really productive at that. And that's the way they reach their potential. Because people talk about potential all the time. And that's the way we believe you reach your potential is knowing why you're put on the planet and living that out well. So you're speaking right into the core of what we're aiming to uh, help people with here. Well, for those listeners in our audience who would want to stay connected with you or and you mentioned that you're going to be hosting one of your shows, one of the shows in August on that. So for people who want to do that, tell us how to watch you and listen to you and connect. And if someone wanted to have you come in and speak to their group or I don't know how much of the keynote stuff you do, but talk to us about what's available there.
3: Well, I'm actually a pretty bad self-promoter, so my website is still <laughs> undeveloped at josephbackholm.com. There actually is a <laughs> there is a uh, draft site there. No, you can find. I mean, I'm a, I'm on Twitter, I'm on yeah. Facebook. You can find me there. People reach out to me there. I, I write at frc.org/worldview a lot, and some of the other websites that I mentioned. Um, you know, social media is an easy way to connect with me, and I do do a lot of groups and churches and worldview camps and things like that, and and I love it. And if people are interested in that, I'm happy to do that. Um, but I just don't have a sure. publicist to send you through to make that happen. So you just have to reach out to me. And tell me the name of the show that you're hosting again. It's called Washington Watch. Yeah. And Washington yeah. Watch. It, and the host of that is Tony Perkins, who's the president of the Family Research Council. And I host that on Fridays, uh, typically, and then any other day of the week where he's doing something else. But I also, he's going to take the entire month of August off. So I will be doing that every day. And so you can yeah. see that at TonyPerkins.com or if you have NRB TV. Uh, you can watch me there on DirecTV, and I will be bringing the news of the day to you every day, 5 to 6 Eastern.
1: All right. Man, that sounded like some pretty good promotion there.
3: Yeah. Well. You know. Here, awesome.
2: Can I take a stab at promoting you?
3: Sure, Kinsey. How do I say no to that?
2: You know, I, I was going to say to a lot of times, you know, I would use somebody in your... In your career is unapproachable, but Joseph is warm. He's inviting. Um, I guarantee you, if you're at a live event and you you want to just come talk to him afterwards, he's going to take the time to love on you. And and I've asked him several questions that, I, and I know he ne- he's never thought in his mind, wow, what a stupid questions. So I would just encourage you to reach out to him if um, if you have anything, if you you know just want to have a discussion. I think he'll greet you with love and truth and kind of. So that's my promotion for you.
3: You're kind. Thank you, Kinsey.
1: Wow, that's the most glowing review she's given anybody yet on here. So uh <laughs> good job, Joseph. <laughs> hey I'm man. Honored. Yeah. Well, hey, we are honored to have you on the podcast today. And it has been a lot of fun. I'm I'm personally challenged and there was a lot of Uh, there was a lot of the things you said in there that I've written down and I'm going, man, I need to really implement this. And I got to think through some things myself. And so uh, very thought provoking and encouraging. So I appreciate it. I know our improver listeners appreciate it as well. And yeah, we look forward to connecting with you again soon, but thanks again for joining us. Thank you. All right. Improvers, we'll see you on the next podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to this production of the improver network podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can catch future episodes. For more information about the Improver Network, visit us online at improver.network. That's www.improver.network. And connect with us on social. Until next time, keep getting better.